0: Hello, Disney fans, and welcome to the show. My name is Austin Terrace, and I'm joined here today by my two wonderful sisters, Kylie. Hey, everybody. And Emma.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Coming up on this episode of Disney Daydream, we'll tell you all about who we are and why we decided to make this podcast. Disney's creating a whole new category of rooms at their newest resort, and Emma will give us a list of her top five favorite Walt Disney World attractions. So take a little break in your busy day, and let's start daydreaming. Okay, so it's the middle of 2019, and we're just now getting into podcasting. So you might be wondering where on earth we've been. Better late than never, I suppose. (laughs) But before we get into some Disney news today, we wanted to just say a little bit about who we are, why Disney is important to the Terrace family, and why we waited until now to create our own show. Basically, our family's always been a group of Disney fanatics, complete fanatics. We grew up watching the movies on repeat. We'd reenact the movies together, and we'd even create our own low-budget, sort of phantasmic-like shows. Uh, And we'd use some of the plush dolls that we bought in the parks to do that with. Um, But over the years, our obsession has kind of changed a little bit. And now we really love talking and thinking and planning travel experiences through Disney. Sometimes I feel bad for our parents. They took us to Disney World once, and I don't think they ever heard the end of it. Anytime they would ask us for vacation input, I think we always insisted on going back to Disney World time and time again. But with that being said, we're not going to claim to be all-knowing Disney experts. We're not locals. We live in Michigan, not Orlando, and we're not travel agents either. Uh, We feel pretty fortunate as travelers. We've been to Disney many times, but we usually have a Disney trip every two or three years. So in that sense, we want it to be a voice in the podcasting world because we feel like we're like most Disney fans. We find ourselves kind of daydreaming about our next Disney trip that's a couple years down the road. And we just try as best as we can to stay updated through other podcasts and vlogs um, and other threads and Disney news and things like that. So the reason for making this podcast in addition to that is because we think that everything related to a Disney trip seems to be getting more and more expensive nowadays. If you're just looking at Disney's website, sometimes just the pure sticker shock of a Disney trip can completely discourage you from looking further. And we believe that everybody deserves to experience a magical Disney vacation that doesn't have to break the bank. We think that's in line with Walt's vision for Disney World, and we're a little bit sad that things have seemed to be moving now in the opposite direction. We're also just a group of young adults, and actually in Emma's case, she's not quite an adult yet. She's still in high school, Uh, but that means we're really cost conscious, but we don't let that budget restraint take away any of the magic when we travel down to Disney World. So whether you're still dreaming about your very first Disney trip, or maybe you've been a hundred times before, we hope that this podcast can be entertaining for you, but also informative. We want to be upfront At first, about the things we've done on our previous trips and the things that we are still looking forward to do that we haven't been able to experience yet. As people who aren't locals, as I said before, sometimes we're just watching other people's videos. We've got to keep as up to date as we can from afar. And with that being said, now I'm going to hand it over to Kylie. She's going to give you a little overview of the Disney trips that we've taken in the past as a family.
1: As Austin said, Disney vacations have just been a huge part of our family ever since we were really young. But with over 20 years of Disney vacationing experience, uh, it's really interesting to see how our trips have changed and the different experiences that we've had with Disney over the years and all of our travel experiences. Um, Our trips to Disney World in the early years started out, as many young families do with the day trips to Disney. You know, young kids can't quite handle full days in the park. We would maybe visit the Magic Kingdom and one or two other parks, but it was not as intensive. We were leaving midday or in the evening, not staying till close. Uh, As we got older, we were able to ride more of the rides and handle some of the longer days, and these day trips turned into longer, week-long vacations. Uh, We were making it a point to hit all of the theme parks, the Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and Epcot and uh, staying on the property sometimes even visiting the parks more than once in one trip uh, as our our family really loves the Magic Kingdom and we try to hit that park at least twice when we're there. Our most extravagant trip was a 10-day trip and included visits to all the parks all the theme parks including the two water parks that Disney has Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach and we even spent one day at Universal Studios so it was kind of a That was our biggest dip into Walt Disney World.
0: A pretty exhausting trip
1: also. (laughs) I think we
0: all needed at least a week of just bed rest when we returned (laughs) from that one.
1: (laughs) Uh, As we got older, the priority of our trips also shifted um, in addition to just the duration of the trip. So we, as young kids, we were super into meeting all the characters, getting as many autographs as we could. And that took up a big part of our day's In the parks. But now that we're older, we're more interested in focusing on hitting all the big rides and seeing all the major shows that we want to see when we go. And we also have gained appreciation for Disney dining and Disney accommodations. And this has led to our interest in researching all the different hotels, all the different restaurants, and putting kind of the next ones on our must-do list and figuring out where we want to go next. And the different places we want to stay and the different places we want to eat. Um, But with this interest, it's been really cool to be able to stay in all of the different categories of Disney accommodations possible. We've stayed in the deluxe hotels, the moderate hotels, and the value resorts on Disney's property. And we've also stayed off property in hotels and off property in vacation homes. So we kind of done the whole gamut of options that there are when you travel down to Orlando Um, We've also booked our trips in all different ways. We've used the Disney Vacation Club points. We've booked directly through Disney. We've booked independently when we stayed off property, kind of um, trying out all the different options, seeing which ones worked best for our family, and utilizing all the different things Disney has to offer as well, such as the dining plans and the transportation at Walt Disney World, which is awesome, and Fast Pass Plus, Park Hopper, Extra Magic Hours, all things that... I'm sure we'll dive into more in future podcasts. Um, But while most of our Disney trips have taken place in Walt Disney World, we've also been to other Disney vacation experiences. We've traveled to Disneyland in California. We've been on a Disney cruise as a family, and I've actually been on two Disney cruises. Uh, The second one was with my husband's family, where we got engaged, and we actually just got married two weeks ago, so... That was a pretty magical trip, I would say, the best one I've taken. Um, but while all of our trips have been dramatically different and given us a crazy amount of variety in our experiences with Disney travel, the thing that has been pretty consistent is the time of year that we've traveled. We um, have all been in school, and my ma, our mom is a teacher, so we're really limited to traveling in the summer or when school is out. Most of our trips have taken place in June, July or August, but we've also taken trips during spring break in April and winter break over the new year. So, we're really traveling in those peak uh high seasons where prices can go up and uh crowds can go up. So, with all these different obstacles that we've had to navigate, we've really learned some cool tricks on how to beat the crowds and how to keep costs down, as Austin was talking about earlier. And uh, these are all things that can scare people off from booking their vacation with Disney. But we believe, as Austin said, that everyone deserves to experience the magic of a Disney vacation at least once. And we hope that some of our tips from all of our trips can help you guys do that.
0: Exactly. Thank you. Just so you know, as listeners, our show is going to work in this way. We're going to start off by discussing the latest Disney news. And then in the second part of our show, we're going to have a topic that we all discuss. Um, Today's a little bit different because we wanted you to get to know us and understand what types of trips we've taken so far as a family. But without further ado, let's hop right into the news. Disney has created an entire new room category at the Riviera Resort, which is their newest resort on property. In case you aren't really familiar with the types of accommodations Disney has to offer, uh, at the bottom ring here, they have the value resorts. And these have really fun themes, but the accommodations in the resort themselves are pretty basic. Uh, Next, they have a whole slew of moderate resorts. And at this top echelon, they have the deluxe resorts. So those include Um, the following. And these are all of the like Disney Vacation Club resort properties. So you have the Animal Kingdom Lodge, Bay Lake Tower that's right next to the Contemporary Resort, got Beach Club, Boardwalk, the Grand Floridian, Old Key West, Polynesian, now the new Riviera Resort, Saratoga Springs, Boulder Ridge at the Wilderness Lodge, Copper Creek at the Wilderness Lodge. And then outside of Disney World and Disneyland, you have the Grand Californian. And then you also have a Hilton Head Island Resort, Vero Beach, and Alani, which is in Hawaii. So those are all of the deluxe DVC properties. And at this resort at the Riviera, they're coming up with they call them Tower Studios. These tower studios are designed to accommodate two guests. And I think Disney actually says two adults and an infant. But come on, I mean, it's, it's a room type designed for couples, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> I guess you can put the infant wherever you want. But really, I think this is, <laughs> this is designed for couples. Uh, so this Riviera Resort is inspired, of course, by the French and Italian Riviera. It's known that Walt and Lillian took some trips out to Europe in the Mediterranean coastline. And the resort itself is going to be about 300 rooms comprised of tower studios, regular deluxe studios, one-bedroom villas, two-bedroom villas, and three-bedroom grand villas. Okay? Um, some people are excited about this resort um, because of the signature dining restaurant that they're calling Topolino. Apparently that's Mickey Mouse in Italian. And it's going to be kind of a rooftop situation, and you'll be able to see all the nighttime shows that are happening over at Epcot and Hollywood Studios. So... it. Kind of reminds me of the California Grill, just in a different part of Walt Disney World here. And I've also heard of this resort being called the Grand Floridian of Epcot. <laughs> so that kind of made me laugh a little bit. Now, I I watched this video of a walkthrough. Um, big shout out to Happiest Vlogs on Earth. They have a great video of them walking through all of the room models that they have over at Saratoga Springs right now. And... Disney is usually pretty exact to these models in any of the, you know, design art that they release about an upcoming resort or attra- attraction. And I have to say, the walkthrough to me, the rooms did look pretty stunning. I don't know if you guys were able to uh, watch that or not, but if you, if you did, what what did you think of the new designs?
1: Yeah, I, I loved them. They're super classic. They look, you know, Disney really didn't... spare any expense yeah (laughs) it's everything looks beautifully new and updated and i think this is great for as some of the they've been updating some of the older resorts um because the designs have come kind of out of date in recent years and it's nice to see something brand new all the contemporary uh backsplashes and like chrome finishings all that right uh, it's really beautiful
0: Yeah, I I just have to say, I was, there was a period of time where it seemed like all of these DVC properties, these deluxe resorts, which cost a pretty penny to stay in, were starting to get woefully out of date. Mm -hmm. And over the past, it seems like four or five years, they've just been renovating these rooms like crazy. And they, they definitely needed it. And these new renovations have turned them all into pretty pretty stunning places now. And I think the same is going to happen here at the Riviera. Uh, it does remind me a little bit the interior design of the Grand Floridian rooms. But at the same time, I think the resort itself is going to be more similar to like the contemporary in Bay Lake Tower, just because of the fact that It's, from what it looks like, one huge building, about eight, nine stories high. It's going to have that rooftop restaurant. And to me, from the models, it's not as expansive as the Grand Floridian. I mean, you have a whole bunch of lawns and beautiful manicured areas outside of the Grand Floridian. And I think this is going to be a more concentrated resort. Uh, But getting back real quick just to the Tower Studios... Um, is this going to be a hit or miss for Disney? I mean, I think they're just trying it out because this tower is located just off of one branch of the resort. There are only going to be a handful of rooms here. And I think it's going to be pretty ridiculously hard to get a reservation at these tower studios. And that's what makes me think Disney's just kind of putting, getting their foot wet here with a smaller room design. And they're just waiting to see if it's going to be popular or not. The big thing I should mention before we start discussing the room itself is that the only sleeping accommodation in there is a pull-down Murphy bed. So you're going to walk into your room, and in the living space, you're not going to see a bed anywhere. It's kind of like a New York City situation where you have something that looks like a closet, and you pull it down, but it's your bed. And I don't know. It's a good way to save space. Uh, Is that a smart way to go. I mean, I'm not sure. I guess we'll we'll wait and see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that this, like you said, it's going to be hit or miss. If they price it right, I think it can be a great option for couples if it's cheaper for a couple to stay here and you don't need all the space. And honestly, when you're in Disney, most uh, older couple, young adult Uh, That demographic is going to be spending most of the day at the parks, out and about, not as much time in your room. So you don't really need all the space that um, comes with most of the rooms. But at the same time, if you can stay in one of these tower studios for the same price as a bigger room at one of the other resorts, maybe it's worth having all the space for your luggage if you're traveling, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's really going to depend on how they price these and if that's going to,
0: right. I think I saw around 240 square feet for these rooms. So definitely not big by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I think there are many deluxe studios that are closer to the 450 square foot range. Um, but in terms of price, at least from what I've seen from the point charts here, it's looking like these tower studios are going to be the cheapest rate at 11 points per night in, during the adventure season. And they're most expensive during your uh, like Christmas to New Year's situation. They're going to be 26 points. So that puts them right in line with a regular studio if you were going to be staying at the older DVC resorts like Old Key West or Saratoga Springs. So, I mean, I guess, I guess it would be that trade-off, you know, um, you could have more space if you stay there, but maybe you are a very young couple and you do spend a lot of time in the parks, so having that extra space really isn't that important to you.
2: Yeah, I definitely think it would be an interesting experience, too, because it's very different from anything that Disney typically does, like Disney typically... Like goes huge,
0: yeah. And by and by huge, we mean they've kind of been looking at innovative ways to get more people to stay in a room, right? They've created these bungalows at the Polynesian tree houses, yeah. Your tree, you can stay in your little tree house area at Saratoga Springs. So, in those things, are accommodations that can usually sleep between nine and 12 people. So, they really moved in the opposite direction here, creating something for just two.
2: Yeah, I mean, it also, like Kylie was saying, like, price-wise, if it's the same as, like, a larger, like, the studio, um, and you don't mind not being at this specific resort, um, it just depends on, like, your situation, I guess.
1: Yeah, if I think it also will depend on... The duration of someone's trip, too. If you're coming for 10 days, you're probably going to have quite a bit of luggage with you and you're going to want to kind of spread that out. (laughs) I mean, coming back from my honeymoon with my now husband, we were gone for 10 days and it was an ordeal going into each of the places that we stayed. We had two suitcases each to pack for 10 days and we had a cooler of food and Uh, some of our places that we stayed were a lot smaller than others. And there were times where even though there were just two of us, it could feel pretty claustrophobic pretty quick. So if you're staying for a longer amount of time with more luggage, more things to bring into the room, it may just be too small.
0: Right. And an interesting interesting thing I'm seeing right here now is I have the uh, vacation points per night chart pulled up. And At the Riviera, it looks like they're going to be having um, two different types of views you can get with your room. So they have standard and preferred. So they've been pretty clear if you have a preferred view room, you're going to be able to see parts of the Caribbean Beach Resort, which is literally next door. Um, Or you're going to be able to look across and see parts of like Epcot or Hollywood Studios. Now, I think for the standard view they've also been pretty clear that that's going to be, you're looking at the parking lot in the back. And by the Tower Studios, they actually don't have standard or preferred listed here. It's all just one category. And I think because um, the rooms for this resort are going to be like facing, you're either in the front of the resort or the back. And this tower is kind of built on the side so in a way, it's, like, not standard or preferred view. Um, so that'll be interesting, like, what the, this tower is actually facing. My my guess right now is that it's literally facing into the Caribbean Beach Resort, which I guess isn't the worst thing uh, in the world, but I don't know. It's just interesting that they don't have that designation there. mm
1: mm-hmm especially for a tower design I think the point of a tower especially what we see at Bay Lake Tower the point is that you're have this awesome high vantage point of the Magic Kingdom which Mm -hmm. is like this grand view that you're viewing from this tower and to build a second tower that makes it sound grand and very magical and Disney Mm and um but to not really have a focal point of what that tower is facing and why you're wanting to be so high off the ground. um, is kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see what those views look like.
0: Yeah. So let me just basically ask the question then. So Kylie, would you and your husband Ben consider staying here? Or would you look for a deluxe studio option? Like when you saw this, did this immediately draw your attention? Is something that you'd want to do in the near future or not?
1: It drew, it drew my attention, yes. I would look into staying there, but there are a lot of factors that I would want to look into further once booking does become available. Um, and as we've said, too, I think it would depend on the duration of the trip. Um, but I think that, I mean, I'm always, the rooms are beautiful, and I'm always down to try a new resort. Like Emma said, it's a very unique experience um, being in this room that's made for two. So I'd consider it for sure, but there are some things I'm still unsure about.
0: Right. Yeah. And just to be clear, I think booking is open. It has been for a few months now. So I think they opened it up in January because that was like the 11th month, Mark. Oh, okay. because they're planning on having everything up and going in December for this resort, and it looks like things are on or ahead of schedule from what I've seen yeah. so far. Um but another interesting thing is I think they're having trouble selling this resort to people mm-hmm. because of this crazy resale restriction. And this resale restriction is if you purchase directly through Disney, you want your contract at the Riviera Resort. And for those that don't know, this Disney Vacation Club program is basically Disney's version of a timeshare, except that it's much better than a regular timeshare because you can choose what time of the year to go and you also have a great resale value on your contract, which is completely non-existent for most timeshares. But from what I've heard, this is not selling out super fast like you might expect. And I think it's because Disney has said, if you put this resort on resale, the people who buy that contract are only going to be able to stay at the Riviera Resort and not anywhere else on DVC property. So that, to me, is a huge disadvantage of buying here. Like, you want to buy here knowing that you have that security blanket of if my life situation changes, I'll be able to sell this contract, I'll be able to make a good portion of my money back. But now, I don't think a whole lot of people are going to want to buy this resale knowing that they're locked into this resort and they can't explore other options.
1: Yeah. Because
0: usually you buy at a home resort, but... Seven months out, you have the opportunity to book at any other Disney Vacation Club property. So that's a really popular option. People usually love their home resort, but it's always great to branch out and to stay at new places. Mm -hmm. And that kind of takes away this opportunity here.
1: Yeah, I think that's the fun of exploring Disney. They put so much effort into making each resort so unique and so different from Mm -hmm. the next and give each one really its own You wouldn't guess that all of these are located within Disney's property in Orlando, you know? Sometimes you feel like you're in the Caribbean, other times you feel like you're on the savannah, and other times you feel like you're in the mountains. And I think that's a really fun thing to explore about the character and the environment that Disney has built with these resorts. So being limited in that way is definitely a disadvantage.
0: Right, and then... Lastly, before we move on here, I guess we should also mention that an interesting part about the Riviera is apparently they're going to be having some annual dues that are a lot higher than other resorts because they're going to be paying a portion to maintain the Disney Skyliner, which is this new gondola system that's going to be connecting a few resorts to Hollywood Studios and this other surrounding area. So it's kind of a new Disney transportation system that's opening up here. And apparently it's going to be on the Riviera to partially maintain this. So that could also be deterring people from wanting to buy there. Mm-hmm. Because after your initial payment for Disney Vacation Club, really the most of what you're going to be paying in the future, are these annual recurring dues that help with the maintenance of your resort. So with that, um, Tower Studios, new... Interesting addition to the room categories. We'll see if Disney wants to continue making these in other resorts in the future, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and what people think about them. Um, But like I said, if that really interests you, then you better be booking it out as far in advance as you can, because this is one little tower in a large 300-room resort. You've got a handful of rooms, and if you wait... (laughs) you're not going to be getting in. So I think it's going to be really difficult to score a reservation at this resort. But don't go away, please, because to end out our show today, we are going to be hearing Emma's list of her top five favorite Walt Disney World attractions. So don't go anywhere. We've got that topic coming right up.
2: So basically, I'm just going to be talking about my top five favorite attractions. Uh, We're going to start with number five, which for me is Space Mountain. Um, Basically, Space Mountain is a very high speed thrill ride. Uh, It doesn't really have a specific storyline, which is something that I really enjoy about Disney, uh, which is the reason why it. Is number five rather than number three on my list. However, I absolutely love the Space Mountain soundtrack. It is, I would definitely say, one of the top soundtracks in Walt Disney World. Um, And it really makes you feel like you're in space. And I just think it's a really unique and interesting ride experience that is. Very specific to this ride and no other ride in Disney.
0: I definitely agree. I love this ride. I Did we mention that it's like completely pitch black dark <laughs> in here, which from what I understand, uh, we have very uh, a different Space Mountain Disney World compared to Disneyland. But a lot of people like Disneyland Space Mountain better um, from what I've been hearing around but i i just love it i love the complete darkness and i don't think you can beat sitting in the very front seat yeah because then you really just don't know what's coming next Mm -hmm. and i understand why it kind of makes some people sick if that jerking motion is going to (laughs) bother you but for me at least up until now I love it. I love not knowing which way I'm going to be thrown next, if I'm going up, down, left or right. And it's it's just always so much fun. Yeah. And I agree with the music too. Mm-hmm. Fabulous music.
1: Yeah. It's one of those rides that, uh, it's really interesting because you can't predict what's coming next as many times as you ride it. I feel mm-hmm. it, because of the total darkness and the high speed and the amount of twisting and turning and spinning that, you go through you even though we've been on this ride since we were little kids going through Disney World we still don't know where we're going next and you can't see the track so you don't have any anticipation before of what you might experience when you're on the ride which is a really cool feature
0: right maybe that's one of the benefits of not being locals it feels like a new ride every time we're down there because when you go on it once every two once every three years I mean, you're never going to memorize all the twists and turns of it, so it does feel new every single time. But let's move on into your number four choice, Emma.
2: All right, so number four, kind of similar um, in the sense that each experience is different. Uh, So Tower of Terror, uh, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is definitely a classic. Um, I love this experience because... It's every time a randomized sequence of drops. Uh, The largest drop is um, 130 feet, up to 39 miles per hour. And they always include that once in the ride. But besides that, it's completely random. So every single time, it's a different experience. Also, it's it's the Twilight Zone, which is an amazing TV show, Uh, and I just think it's a really like overall cool experience and it's definitely, it's definitely very unique.
0: Yeah. There's a great theme. It tells this like haunting Twilight Zone story and it's completely immersive right from the queue. When you enter that line and you're making your way through the yard leading up to uh, the tower and then when you walk inside it's really decorated beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's like completely like a cobwebs everywhere, yeah. dust everywhere. And I love the interaction that you can have with the cast members who always have these stone cold straight faces mm-hmm. that never smile. It really puts you right there. Like you're into the show.
2: Yeah. Kind of similar to haunted mansion. Just the cast members do right. such mm-hmm. a great job with really staying in the moment and putting you right where you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. it's really cool
1: yeah i think disney does really well with this ride of adding an element of thrill to the park i think that's something that a lot of people say can be missing from disney parks is a lot of the rides are based on you know your classic disney movies fairy tales they're catered towards families and younger kids, but they definitely throw in some rides with elements of thrill. And this one even has a, a horror element to it almost. Mm -hmm. And they really commit there and it's a great attraction for once kids get older and young adults and older adults, it's something that can add that element of thrill to your day in Disney, which is an awesome addition.
0: Yeah. I, I remember going as a littler kid And I was just terrified to go on this ride. Throughout the entire line, I was nervous. And then you go on it, and you just want to do it again and again Mm -hmm. afterwards. But still, the next time I'd come back, I'd be scared again. But then I'd do it, and then you love it, and you want to keep going back. And now finally, it's just pure joy waiting through that line (laughs) as we're going up to it. But all right, what's your number three, Emma?
2: I would say my number three is Avatar Flight of Passage. It it's obviously based on Avatar and it basically the experience is what it's like to ride a Banshee through Pandora. And it this type of ride lives in the same realm as Soren, considering that it's a simulation ride. However, Disney classifies it as a thrill ride, which that's understandable i don't want to give too much away but uh the complex details um in what you're looking at really makes it feel like you're flying or flying down the side of a cliff like you're gonna fall like it's very interesting and then just even the cue is gorgeous it feels like you're in another world um Also just the technologically, so you sit in um, these link chairs and even from that, it seems like the simplest thing, but your sitting position is how you would ride a motorcycle. So right from, yeah, right from the start, you're leaning forward and already like so in it. Uh, and then they actually make it feel like you're on like a breathing banshee. Uh, and it's really just an amazing experience. And this ride usually has a very long wait, but I would definitely say it's worth it.
0: Yeah. The very long wait is totally remedied by the fact that the queue is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. There's always something to look at in the queue, even from when you're outside. I mean, you get to look at gorgeous Pandora. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in, you're going through these laboratories and you get to see one of probably the best animatronics ever that Disney's created. And then you get on the ride. And again, it's kind of like this 4D type of thing. And even though it's this simulation, you do feel like you're moving. And it kind of takes that soaring idea to the completely next level, I think, mm-hmm,
1: yeah. and
0: that's why it's been, I mean, and rightfully so, very, very popular so far.
1: Yeah, I this ride took my breath away the first time yeah. we did it. It was really incredible how real it felt, and it's I think very different from the rides that Disney has done in the past. To me, it reminded me actually of. The rides at Universal, they're yeah. known for their simulation type rides that they do. And Disney was definitely dipping their toes into this category of ride and just, I think, blew it out of the water with how real it felt.
0: Yep. My only other comment about this one, though, is the fact that when we were down there the last time we rode this, uh, either... Two or three times, I, yeah, something sure, like I've that, and the first time it was completely immersive because we got seats that were right in the uh like the center of our little branch, but I do have to say the second time I was right on the end of that, and if you're on the end when that motorcycle link chair thing leans you forward then it's a little bit less immersive because out of your peripheral vision, you can see everybody seated on your right and everybody in the other room on your left. And that took, that took a little bit of the joy out of it for me. So I do think that you can have, um, a couple different experiences on this ride. If you get that center part, you're golden, like you're right in it. It's like, you can't see anybody around you. You're, you've disappeared into this world, but I didn't like so much the fact that I could see everybody else (laughs) the second time we went on it. Um, But even with that all said, great ride, wonderful addition to Pandora, and hopefully you can beat the weight that this thing had because when we were down there, I don't know, it got up to three hours pretty much, and so you got to fast pass that one if you can. Um, All right, moving up to number two.
2: Number two, Expedition Everest. Uh, this is definitely a thrill ride. Uh, the story isn't necessarily Disney themed, but it's very entertaining, and uh, it's it definitely makes you feel like you're really hiking Mount Everest. Um, it's the tallest attraction at Walt Disney World. And it is 199.5 feet, which I just think is interesting because Disney really pushed it so that they wouldn't have to have a red light at the top for planes. Um, <laughs> very smart, I would say. Uh, the main drop in this ride is actually 80 feet tall. and But I would say the real thrill is how you almost feel like you're upside down and like Backward spirals down this ride—it's, it's really crazy. It's really crazy, and um, it also has just a huge audio animatronic figure, um, and it's uh, twenty-five feet tall and a thousand square feet of skin on this animatronic. And I just really think it's pretty next level, and it's a classic ride, and. I definitely consider this one of the best rides at Disney.
0: Yeah, I love seeing the Everest Mountain when I walk into Animal Kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's just a great sight, and it always makes me excited to go on this ride. And I would say that going back to what Kylie mentioned when you were talking about Tower of Terror, it is always nice to see Disney incorporate storytelling into their thrill rides. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is just a roller coaster. But still, it tells that story of kind of hunting for this Yeti, and then at the same time, kind of running away from it at the end, like you still get that story. And there's a lot of suspense there. And it's just on a different kind of level than a lot of the roller coasters you'd originally go on, which might be super, super tall and thrilling. But there's no storytelling Disney aspect to it.
2: Yeah, I think that's really what sets Disney apart. It there's this extravagant story with an extravagant ride which you don't see. You don't really see many other places and I just think that Disney does a fantastic job of having a nice mix of both of those things.
1: Yeah, and where they really set themselves apart too is carrying that storyline from the beginning of your experience Mm -hmm. with this ride to the very end. So as we've talked about with a lot of these other rides, the queue completely builds your anticipation up for this ride. You're walking through this camp with all this hiking gear and maps and things about tracking the Yeti posted on the wall and Mm -hmm. the detail and all those little things as you're walking through the queue really get you amped up for this experience. The one thing I would say about this ride that uh, puts me off just a little bit to it is you can tell that it's getting up there in years because of the sound of the roller coaster. You can tell that it was built in you know, the, what was it? 2005. I almost remember when this ride was built. Actually, actually, I remember being super excited to.
0: Yeah. I, I don't exactly remember when, but it's got to be, I mean, I guess it at least 10 years old now. I mean, right. Yeah. maybe. want to say older? 2007,
1: 2005, something like that. But it, yeah, that the clicking sound that you get from those older roller coasters Yeah, and some of the, the jerkier motions. It's not as smooth of a ride as the newer roller coasters are, but they it that's a very minor critique that I have of this ride.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: righty, let's move on to your number one attraction at Walt Disney World.
2: Number one, Splash Mountain. And this ride, it just instantly makes me think of my entire childhood like from the soundtrack to the ride itself it's in it's absolutely insane it's a perfect mix of the thrill ride category and the dark ride category the there are 68 audio animatronics and I think that's really cool considering how elaborate and thrilling the ride is as well and I really think that It's really hard to beat this ride. I mean, uh, there's a drop of 50 feet, uh, but you still have that almost, like, super innocent, like, like, cheery, sing-song storyline that goes with it. And I just think it's perfectly Disney, and I love it.
0: Yeah, and that is like a flume drop that's in this huge log, which you sit in. Right. So it's this water ride, but also it's very thrilling. And I mean, I love this ride. I would say that it's to me like the perfect ride. I mean, there's such a payoff when you're waiting for this, because when we go in the summer, obviously this, this attraction has a super long wait and If you can't score a fast pass in the middle of the day, then even when you wait, you get on the ride and it's like eight minutes long. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a long ride. It's not like you're hopping. It's not like you waited an hour and a half for something that's over in a minute. Right. Like you get such a long payoff here. You go over multiple drops. You've got the great dark ride element of it where the story's being told and then you have this wonderful thrill at the end of the ride too. And I always find myself singing the music that goes along with this attraction for days and weeks after I've taken a ride on it.
1: Right? Yeah, I think I 100% agree with everything you guys have said. This is definitely my favorite ride in Walt Disney World. You've hit the nail on the head with everything you've said about it. Um, One of my favorite memories of this ride is... We were at Magic Kingdom for the second time in a trip, and we had already seen the fireworks show. So the first time we went, so the second time we were like, "Let's hit Splash Mountain again." And because it was during the fireworks show, there was pretty much no wait, and we were able to watch the fireworks show while riding Splash Mountain. And I just mm-hmm. that was just such a cool view of the fireworks too, and a fun addition to. It was just a great memory that I have of that ride as well. It's such a unique experience.
0: And then the most recent one we got got on the ride, we found out that we were like the last cart to be loaded because it started like thunderstorming. But we continued through the ride and when we came out for the big drop that's exposed, it's no longer in the regular ride area, we were just completely drenched. Like before we hit the bottom water. We were already drenched yeah. because that's how uh, how hard it was raining. And then, of course, you had that time where you've done the drop, and now you're just floating along, waiting to go back yeah. into the ride for the final zippity-doo-dah part, <laughs> where we got <laughs> just so soaked. It was, it, was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, and there was but.
2: a big backup too, so we just had to wait there for what seemed like forever. But it's an amazing memory, yeah. Anyways, we were definitely soaking wet the rest of the day, but <laughs> I loved the ride no matter what. Every single time.
0: Yeah. So just to recap, Emma's top five list: she's got Space Mountain, Magic Kingdom, Tower of Terror at Hollywood Studios, Flight of Passage, Animal Kingdom, Expedition Everest in Animal Kingdom, and her number one, Splash Mountain at the Magic Kingdom. So that's going to do it for our very first episode of the Disney Daydream podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join us for the next one. Remember, be kind to one another and take the time to find a magical moment out of each and every day. See you next time.